Hi, Brock Lurie here. Thanks for tuning in. All right. One of the major events that we need to talk about is the override of the president's veto with regard to the bill that will allow 9-11 families to get judgments against Saudi Arabia and, for that matter, other countries that uh, they can prove were linked to 9-11 and, and other terrorist activities. Fantastic. What a great bill. And, and as I said on my Sunday show, why would Obama veto such a bill? Why? And I, I asked that three times, and I, and I explained why, how, how insane it was to, to veto such a bill. But he said he would veto such a bill. And, and, he, and he said it adamantly, even though he knew that it would be subject to an, an override. And override for those uh, listening in other countries, we have many people listening from other countries, um, it means that uh, even if the, the, the president signs a bill, that the Senate and the Congress can override the veto and force that bill to be enacted into law. Uh, it's you mean two, if a president rejects a signing Right, a bill. veto is a rejection of a bill, and then it goes back to the House and Senate to override it so they can give an override of it. And, and that requires two-thirds of the House and the Senate to override the uh, Obama's veto. And that's exactly what happened today. And it's, I'm so proud of this country and so proud of, uh, yes, even the Democrats who, who voted to override the president, their party's leader, because they knew that what the, the president was, was vetoing was wrong. Uh, of course, it's, it's a wise idea to allow people, the victims, uh, the, the, the families of the victims, to be able to pursue the perpetrators who did this horrific thing, whether it's 9-11 or, or anything that, that's smaller than 9-11, any sort of terrorist act activity, you want to be able to get justice. That's what this country is about, for crying out loud. Justice, right? Justice you shall seek. That's, that's who we are, and, and in addition to liberty and such. But part of liberty is justice. And, and Obama doesn't get that. What is his stated reason why he wanted to veto this? Because he said it would set a bad precedent in future matters where... Uh, other countries would not enjoy sovereign immunity, and then they would maybe use it against us. Uh, who knows? Okay. Yeah, he said uh, over the past few weeks that it would allow people like in Iraq who were bombed by America to sue us. But the response is simple. You mean in American courts? Yeah, exactly. Why I, would an American court take that case? Right. They're not Americans. Uh, exactly. Happy to do so. So he talks about the precedent, but... But it never once thinking about the opposite side of it, thinking about the precedent it would be to not allow the, the families to pursue such a, such a judgment against uh, Saudi Arabia or other terrorist supporting nations. What, 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 what that would mean is that they would know, okay, well, there's nothing, no one's going to enforce this. So even if we commit the most horrific acts of terrorism upon America, uh, we, won't, uh, we won't suffer anything. As a result, there'll be no backlash against us. So terrorize away, my friends. That's what it is. We, you know, it's, it's so funny. We're, we're a country of laws. We seem to understand that the most basic citizen uh, with a 60 IQ understands that if you speed on the highway and there's no enforcement of the speed limit, then you'll get more what, Ari? Speeding. There you go. Okay. Now, by the way, he has more than a, six, that, he has more than a sixty IQ. That was a, that was what's called a pregnant pause. That's right to, for drama. Exactly. Now, if you have a um, a law that uh, is out there that says that crime, uh, let's say theft, 
is illegal and you got to go to prison, but nobody enforces it, you will get more... Crime. <laughs> right. Theft in this example. Theft. Uh, and that, that's it's true for rape. It's true for murder. It's true for anything. If you, get, if you send out the signal that you're not going to enforce the laws... Well, then you're going to get more crime. Breaking of the, of the law. You're going to get more breaking yeah. of the laws. So it, it's just so simple. It, it doesn't matter. It, uh, it's, it, this is why you and I are, are apoplectic when it comes to voter ID laws, right? They, 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 no one's enforcing the IDs. And so as a consequence, surprise, surprise, uh, many people vote uh, on, on election day, wherever it is, because they, they don't have to show their IDs. And it's also surprising, it's, I guess not surprising, that those states where there is voter ID laws, meaning that they require people to, to show their IDs, when, when they do require it, that, that tends to go Republican. When they don't, they don't go Republican. It's, it's like 100% correlation. Fascinating, right? Now, you might say, well, that's, you know, you're putting the cart before the horse, Barack, because there are already liberal states that, that do that anyway. It's not because of the, the voter ID. Maybe so. Maybe so, but that's not the point. The point is that you're allowing more people to vote, and it's, it's you're a allowing more liberalism. people to cheat. Yeah, of and course. And cheaters tend to break Democrats yeah. for some reason. Right. <laughs> but, uh, surprise. Right. And I and ironically, well, I guess it's not ironic at all. It's the the fact that they on the one hand they they'll tell you, well, people do the right thing when it comes to voting, but when it comes to business, oh, we got we got to regulate them up the wazoo. Because we can't trust business to do the right thing. No, no, no. If you leave them to their own devices, horrific things will, will happen. The, the air will be polluted. The water will be poisoned. Your, your, your children will die with, with horrific diseases because they, the, the drugs will all be uh, you know, improper and they'll all be snake oil. And, and all toys will explode and so on. Uh, this they have to regulate. But when it comes to the voting process, then suddenly they're very, they're very innocent and they're very Pollyannish. And they... They, they love human nature all of a sudden. Interesting, right? Yeah, the same way they want to regulate guns but not abortion. And the same way they, they can't find anything racist about carting someone at a liquor store or a restaurant when they buy alcohol yeah, or cigarettes. That's right. But when it comes to checking their ID to vote ah. and sway who's in power over all of us, suddenly becomes the great you know race issue of, ni- of 2016. That's right. That's right. A- another uh, interesting point that maybe you can address is uh, the reason it's relevant to sue the countries that perpetrate these acts um, on Americans, these uh, terrorism, is because a lot of the people who might be behind the financing of this terrorism have investments and own assets that are in the U.S., while at the same time, if these other countries were suing people who, say, bombed Iraq, those people don't have assets invested in Iraq. It, it's too easy to, I mean, of course, that's the answer. Uh, we have the enforcement mechanisms, and, and they don't, look, there's no real justice in, in uh, Iran anyway, right? So they, they grab you and they call you a traitor. So it's, it's, it's no harm, no foul, in a sense, right? right. And what assets, like you said, do, do, do they really have in Iran that, that are American assets that they can seize in the same way that we can seize them? So. We, we advantage America. Let's put it that way. Okay. Yeah. It almost makes. That's why it makes absolutely no sense. Right. To allow no real legal recourse. Right. Against and when people. they get to the point where there are sufficient or significant assets of America in a country like, let's say, Iran or Afghanistan, that are so uh, numerous that they would be 
uh, you know, worthy of attaching for purposes of a judgment. Well, that means that we've that that, that country has has been tamed, has been civilized. Right. It, it's we, worthy of investment. Right. Now. <laughs> we, we welcome them. I mean, it's, so by all means, let's do it. So going back to Obama, you know, he he looks only the precedent that he wants to see. He doesn't talk about the precedent that he doesn't want you to see. And that and that's the obvious one. If you if you let people terrorize and commit terrorism with impunity and you don't push them back, they will do more. That's it's just basic human nature. And whether it's on the micro level with a bully or whether it's on the macro level with uh, geopolitics, whether that's Russia or otherwise. You've got to fight back, and if you don't fight back, well, then surprise, surprise, things, terrible things happen. This is this is uh, this is big news. Okay, we, we're living a time of big news, right? This is the first override uh, of, of a president that I have uh, that I can recall in many, many years, and this is a big one. Okay, this is not just we're we're overriding a bill regarding a, a you know a nuanced aspect of a trade deal, for example, with Yugoslavia or the or Obamacare Yugoslavia. or something. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not that. It's it's uh this is this smells wrong. Right? Yeah, and also don't overestimate or underestimate the importance of a very close election approaching on the behavior of the Democrats yeah. because Republicans cannot override a veto veto alone. It took every Democrat except for three in the Senate who voted this way. Uh, and very few smell, in Congress, smell too. election much yeah. coming up in six weeks? Yeah. Well, look, God bless it for that because they, they see where the, the winds are, are going. And this might be a reflection that, that we actually might have a, a Trump victory. And I want to talk to you about, about that in a moment. But we have uh, the possible winds that are in our favor. And I hope we don't eat crow on this in November. But that's only coming up in a, what, a month and a half at this point. But I... I I like what you said offline a little bit uh, more about this, and I want to give you credit for it. The Democrats who voted to override, they were actually running against the president. And, and as you said, and it gave me a uh, great joy to say this, and I, I, I say it with more positive attitude uh, than maybe you do at this point, which is that they, they reveal themselves to be Americans first. That the first thing that they did was to consider, is this good for America? Versus, is this good for my party, the Democrats? Well, I, the point I made was actually the opposite. Maybe you misinterpreted me. I said, it's funny that occasionally they do the right thing for America or occasionally they act like Americans. Right. But the reason I think the, the mitigating circumstance that's not in their favor morally is that it's only if there wasn't an election approaching within a, uh, a time limit in which this could be remembered, then of course they won't. It's one of those rare times that Democrats are not as wrong as wrong can be every time, all the time. Right. You're you're saying that all the factors align such that they are now voting in a way that is wonderful for us and wonderful for the country, for that matter. Yeah, and it also. But but, but don't be so naive, Barack. Uh, Right. Don't don't think they're suddenly our friends. And also uh, fits the Ari David principle. You know, um, I guess you'd call it Prime Directive Number One, which is. (laughs) Democrats, in order to have to win elections, always, always, always have to behave in a conservative manner. That's because true. no matter how liberal the voter thinks they are, at the core of the voter's values, there are conservative values down there somewhere. Right. Whether they, they realize, right yeah, whether they vote, uh, whether the Democrats are not. Yeah, the, even, the, even voters, those, not the, the, the voters themselves are conservative. They don't realize that they're conservative. Yes. You know, what's that expression from uh, the movie Full Metal Jacket? 
where he says, uh, in every, I mean, it's a terrible thing that he says, so he says, but he's talking about the, the Viet Cong, and he said, in every Viet Cong, there's an American desperate to get out, <laughs> right? Uh, and I think in every liberal, there, there is a conservative that, that, that craves, um, you know, law and order, that craves a sense of a structure. It's, there are very few real Saul Alinsky's out there that, that have this, you know, diabolical plan to actually bring down the, the country. I don't ascribe that to all Democrats. I, far from it. I think I think most Democrats really have a great sense of decency within them. Yeah, they Democrat just, voters. Right. Demo- oh yeah, yeah. For, for sure, Democrat voters. But they've been lied to so much that and the association game has been played with them so much that they that they believe the Democrats are, are awesome. You know that, and, and that's how they'll vote for the rest of eternity. And and th- th- anyway, they've been twisted. Yeah, and and you, the listeners of the podcast know because I've said this over and over again. It's not like Democrats right before an election say things like uh, "GM is dead, Al Qaeda is alive." Right. They never say things like "I promise, if reelected in 2012, that by 2016 Iran will operate with impunity, develop a nuclear weapon." That's right. I promise not to do anything about North Korea's nuclear threat. I promise to allow Iraq and Syria's borderland hinterlands to fall into right. ISIS's chaos. They don't promise the liberal result. Well, it's a basic, a basic theme that we talked about on, on my Sunday show, which is that the, the bad always pretend to be good, and the good never pretend to be bad, right? It's, it's by definition. And, and that's what we talked about, like uh, China and North Korea, for example. The, China just, you know, calls itself the Democratic Republic of China. It's not democratic. No, people's Republic. The People's Republic. Yeah. But it's not a republic, right? <laughs> that's, republic. that's the whole point. Yeah. And, and, and they it, don't give a crap about people. No, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and even the USSR was the same thing, the, the uh, Union of Social, Soviet Socialist Republics, right? It's, yeah. it's just, there wasn't, there, there ain't none uh, of a republic there. Right. No, and nothing. the one you're thinking about is North Korea, the Democrat People's Republic of North Korea. Bingo. Yeah, there's something yeah. Democrat. So it's not as if we say, conversely, like the communist states of America, right? We, <laughs> yes. right? Or the socialist states of Europe. We, 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 we wouldn't say that. It's, uh, it, 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 <laughs> So, but liars pretend to be honest, right? And honest people never pretend to be liars. Yes. You know, a, a con man will always say to you, um, you know what, you can trust me. Um, he, I, I always speak the truth. I'm a Christian. I'm whatever it is. So, you know, he, he'll invoke God to, for all these purposes. And he's lying to you through his teeth in the process. But a truthful person will say, hey, listen, I lie a lot. <laughs> I. Uh, yeah, and I want believe you, me all don't believe time. it all the time. And, and uh, you know what? I've done really bad things in my past. And I, I uh, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. A, a truly honest person would never say such a thing. Yeah, I have to say, what you just said is uh, sort of a sidebar here. That is so brilliant. That warrants its own theme for a Sunday show on AMA. So well, I did it. That is, that is so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, or maybe even a it. book. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that is... That's so elemental to life. It's yeah. one of those undeniable truths right. that if you are able to glean nothing in life other than that and live your life by that principle, right. dishonest people pretend to be good. Good people don't pretend to be bad. Right. Exactly. You right. will be 90% of the time right. okay in every dealing with people. All right, so now Ari's going to really like this. Democrats always pretend to be Republicans. Republicans never pretend to be Democrats. Right. Okay? Unless unless they're fooled into it by the media. That's right. Like yeah. a McCain or a Romney. That's right. Be more moderate. That's right. Well, yeah, in fairness, let's say liberals pretend to be conservatives. Yes. Conservatives never pretend to be liberals. Yes. Okay. 
So, and they'll, even for example, during the gay marriage debate, uh, liberals advance the conservative argument for gay marriage, right? Family. They, right, family and all that stuff. <laughs> yes. it's, it's, uh, but, but, but even when they don't say it, that they actually live very conservative values, that, but they just, they somehow embrace the liberal equation of it. Like, they would never want to live in the, in the very world that they espouse. Anyway, let's get back to where we are because we're talking about Obama, the overriding and such like that. I, I find it truly fascinating because, you know, we've, we've already concluded that this is, it was madness to veto this bill. And it's even, and, and I think it's humiliating to the president that he's been overridden so, so wildly. This is not, a, you know, by one vote override. This was a slaughter override. And the country really was speaking, at least through the Congress and the Senate, saying that veto, don't hunt. Okay? And we mean it. And this bill came out by, you're saying it's an election year, but don't forget this bill came out just, uh, you know, a month ago or so, the 9-11 bill. And so you can say that itself was, you know, electioneering, so to speak. But it still came out. There was a, and it was a bipartisan bill. Everyone wanted to push it. And then, so, so they can say, I voted for the bipartisan bill, I suppose. But to go against your president, that, that's really, that takes huevos. Because Obama knows that he's the leader of the party, and he is—he's a very threatening guy. I mean, he's—he's he's quietly he's a thug. He's, he's a, a thug. He's a political right. thug. That's right. People think that Trump is a thug, uh, and and he may be, you know, very bombastic with his words, and and uh, and sometimes he's mean with the, the photos and all that stuff and things that he said about Cruz and and McCain. But he ain't got nothing on Obama. Obama is—I mean, if, if you do. If you go in on his wrong side, you are toast. Right, especially in your own party. And they yeah. have, in the Democrat Party, it's all structured on power and money and electoral uh, resources. I mean, if you step out of line, they will get a, someone to primary challenge you. They will pick someone yeah. and they will fund them to the tune of millions of dollars in some godforsaken district just to punish you. It literally works like the political mafia where they do political hits to their all own. Right. All right, so so let's let's move to the next time. next topic that that relates to what we just talked about, but 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 still staying on the override issue. Why did Obama veto this? I mean, really, really. Okay, now the answer, the stated answer from Obama was that this was set a a precedent that would be dangerous. Uh, blah blah blah. Other countries will do it to us. Blah blah blah. Sovereign immunity, blah, blah, blah. Saudi Arabia will pull their assets out of America, blah, blah, blah. Exactly, right. All right, so now I'm giving it to Ari to explain the obvious as to why he actually vetoed this bill, knowing that it would be overridden, knowing it. Okay? Go. Here's my pregnant pause. There? Because he's on their side. He's on the enemy's side. He doesn't like America. He wants to see America and Israel destroyed. He likes the enemy. Am I making myself clear? I, I feel like I've allowed Ari to vent. <laughs> no, there was no venting. The volcano is full of Full magma. of truth, I see. That's, that, was, that was a little... <clears throat> There was a little susaw flutter of magma off the side from one of the side vents. The cauldron's ready to bur- burst still. All right. Having let Ari now vent uh, on this I- issue, and he might be right, I, I, I will soften it slightly. God. I will tell you 
that and we've said this many times on this show this this podcast the otherwise affinity for islam <laughs> his affinity for islam yes. is overwhelming he just doesn't understand how it informs him how it motivates him how it pushes him to very bad decision making um I don't think he's a Muslim, blah, blah, blah. That's all nonsense to me. I don't think he was born in Kenya, blah, blah, blah. It's all nonsense to me. Fine. But it doesn't matter. It's totally irrelevant. It's, uh, that, that's a total distraction. What really does matter is, does he have an affinity toward Islam? And the answer, quite resoundingly, is yes. And I don't blame him for that. It's okay. You, you can have an affinity for whatever. You know, I have an affinity for the French language. We talked about this. I have an affinity for the Mormon faith. We talked about that too. I have, a, I have an affinity for Christians. You know, it's because of my associations that I've made over time. People, uh, some people I know that have affinity for Peru and all things Peruvian. They have nothing to do with Peru. They, they don't have any Peruvian uh, relatives at all. But for whatever reason, they have to be in Peru. It's a magical place for them. Likewise, I have a few friends who love going to Germany. God bless them. Fine. Whatever. Their Germanic culture means something to them. So your affinity to for Wilco music does not mean you're in the band. Right. It just means you dig it. That's right. And if somebody... <laughs> I dig it. Right. Exactly right. And if somebody says that Wilco is is uh, a bad band, it doesn't know music from its, uh, from, from its hand or whatever it is, I, I might disagree with them. It'll, it'll, I'll be somewhat defensive on that issue. And uh, likewise for my Mormon friends, likewise for my Christian friends, I, I will say... You don't know jack about Christianity if you think that Christianity is a, is a bad actor in the, on the on the historical stage. You'll be wrong, and, and I'll fight them, right? But it's because of my affinity for them. Now Obama, he's just got it in his blood. He he loves all things Islam. He just loves it. it it's it's okay. He's entitled to do that. I, uh, you know, some people love, like I said, all things French. You know, you know a lot of people like that. I know a lot of people. If if not French, then all things Italian. Maybe I know a good friend of mine who is he's he's white as you and me and and such. But he's he is um, uh, he loves Japanese things. He goes to Jap- Japan all the time. He learns Japanese, of course. He loves the culture. He gets really into it. It's part of his identity. And and you don't have to be born a Japanese person to to have that kind of affinity. And I think that's what he has. It just He just can't do anything that he perceives will be looked upon negatively from the Muslim world. How could he betray these people? And again, it's not divided loyalties even. We can get into that in a moment. I know that you, you, you definitely think he has divided loyalties. I, I think that he just, he just can't you know, divorce himself from... This, this Islamic world, which he, he loves so much, that, that does nothing that is wrong. And, and therefore, he, he can't agree to this bill. Anything that, that would, in, other, in any way, somehow compromise the relationship between what he, he himself, Obama, not, not America, but he himself, Obama, and the, the Muslim world, he ain't going to agree to it, okay? Because he wants to show the love to the Islamic world that, that, that's out there. And, and we can talk. We can go more cynical, like you are, about you know divided loyalties, and that he truly is uh, on their side, and he hates I mean, America. He's a tra- treasonous traitor to America, right. and should face the ultimate penalties. Not that I'm threatening him or anything, but no, of course not. That but, there's a you know Manchurian candidate in our midst kind of thing. You you think he's a traitor? I, I think that his his affinity for Islam is so damaging that he's he's 
he's might as well be a traitor, right? In other words, it, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, yes, intent matters, I guess. Yeah, and by but, the way, but, I appreciate how far I've brought you on this issue <laughs> in four years. So no, I, you've I, come far enough. As I, far I've, as come, I've come a long way. That's absolutely true. I, I, I had, look, you know, the, 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 uh, the, for a lot of the power of, of your persuasive thinking, that's true. I mean, we have a lot of banter about this. But I must say also that, the, you know, Obama's own actions and inactions have uh, led me inexorably to this conclusion, including the Iranian deal and now uh, this uh, the, the the vetoing of a bill which he knows is going to be overridden, and and he knows uh, was very good for the country. He must have known that. So these are uh, you know more and more other th- there are plenty of things just like this. Yeah, and that's that's such an important point because. As you just stated, he knew it was be overridden. He knew no By matter how much thug power of of uh, <clears throat> electoral retribution he could have on any member of Congress here or there on this issue, his his veto was purely a pyrrhic victory. It was only for appearance. Even that we talk about um, for the appearance of the Muslim of world. The Muslim world. It, it had yeah, nothing or to the do. Appeasement. It's it's like how sometimes we talk about uh, uh, Donald Trump in a debate, and we're not going to get over onto Trump on this. But occasionally Trump will be kind of obsessed to answer every little attack at him, rather than keeping a focus on the big picture of That's things. Right. That's mm-hmm. just sort of a little habit of his that we're hoping he grows out of in time. Right. And it's a separate issue. We're not going to talk about it here. But the point is, it's like you'd think that Obama would just say, you know what, I'm going to lose this one. I'm going to focus on the big thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm right. gonna, I'll sign the bill, whatever. <clears throat> but right. he was so intent for that to be the hill he would politically, if you will, um, uh, fight on. I'm not going right. to use the word die there because you don't want to insinuate anything right. you know, about his well Well, it was, it was not political suicide, but it was definitely damaging to his... His role as the president. I mean, he's well, it was have just to, useless. It was it was a useless thing. Yeah, I, I you know he was only impressing the Muslim world. He was not impressing anyone else. It made no sense at all for him to move forward with this. But then you know asking to make sense of this uh, doesn't doesn't make any sense. Uh, this this relates now a little bit to the way um, he's dealing with uh, the the campaign, uh, meaning the campaign between Hillary Clinton and and Donald Trump. As we speak today, we're just a few days away from the most the first debate. That happened uh, actually two days away. For from the a first few days debate. after. The after debate. the first debate, yeah. And it's interesting to see how uh, the presidents responded to it, how Hillary Clinton, of course, and how Donald Trump are responding to it. Uh, by and large, you know, from from your perspective and my perspective, we felt that Donald Trump um, handled himself poorly. That if 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 there has to be a winner between the two, it would have been Hillary Clinton, just because she was able to kind of stay on her message. And she did not get uh, too bamboozled and too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Distracted this, or knocked the, yeah. off message. Yeah, she or, wasn't knocked off. Yeah, she, yeah. she, she and, did, and what we she, see, she, she, hold on. Yeah. She didn't let her get herself get frazzled. In that sense, she won. Yeah, but, and she showed up and looked relatively alive. Right, that was, exactly right. That's an important <clears throat> point with her. That's right. You know. <laughs> uh, now, more to my point, though, it's funny. You and I see her, and, and you know, when she came out and they said, okay, now introducing the debating candidates, uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, right? And they both start walking on the stage. You and I see, okay, and, and what, what were you thinking? You're saying, okay, well, here they are. Here comes the moment. They, the match has joined. Let's, uh, let's have at it. First question and answer and response and give and take and all that stuff, right? The women don't see it that way. The women were looking at Hillary Clinton saying, I can't believe she's wearing that. How could she? I don't like her smirk. I, I don't like the way she's done her hair. 
and, and all sorts of other things that you and I would never think. It, it would never enter our mind. And, and vis-a-vis Trump, they don't, you know, they don't care about his hairstyle, his, his, his tie, as long as it's not too outlandish. As long as his clothes are not wrinkled, they forgive guys. God bless women for that. They, they forgive us for that. They don't expect us to be anything. But with women, they are so tough on each other. And there was a lot of that going on. And I think that partially explains my next point. That despite you and I, our, our logical thinking about how the debate played out and that Hillary Clinton came off more poised and so on and more confident and, and everything you want to use, the reality is that a tremendous number of people felt just the opposite. They, they hated Hillary Clinton, that she came off very arrogant and standoffish and, uh, and petulant in some ways. Uh, they didn't like her smirking. And Donald Trump, while he looked very defensive, and I, I think that's absolutely true, uh, he looked genuine. And, and that's, that was apparently a big, big win in the social media circles. And then they had these, these informal polls, yes, granted, very unscientific. But uh, Time and um, CNBC and uh, Politico and I think at least one other, there are quite a few that had uh, Trump winning the debate by a very high number. Now, you can say, and you'd be correct, Mr. Lurie, <laughs> these are very unscientific. You're absolutely right. They're unscientific. But here's the question. First of all, many of those unscientific polls were in very liberal websites. Okay, so you would think the reverse would happen, that it would be unscientifically in favor of Hillary Clinton, that that 70% would be for her and 30% for Trump. But no, it was the reverse on a liberal website. Okay, so that's one thing. Secondly, why isn't there even one website where Hillary Clinton won in a crazy way? What I'm trying to say here, folks, is uh, the responses to that is, well, that's because there's so much enthusiasm from Trump and people are going out there and, and expressing their minds wherever they can such as these time, informal polls on the websites, to which I say, you don't say. The enthusiasm is, is everything here. You just answered the question itself. The, that's, that's the reason why that Hillary Clinton should be terrified. Enthusiasm goes back to one of the, the 10 or so items I said where Hillary Clinton has a lot of headwind against her, right? Remember that? We talked about that. We said, it's uh, we, we talked about her that she's a woman. We talked about her. Uh, it's at the third term of, a, of the same party that would be in the White House. So that's another headwind. And we talked about the scandals. We talked about the fact that her voice uh, and things like that. But we also talked about enthusiasm. And there's no enthusiasm for her. Really, I, I think it's it's crickets chirping time. Whenever even now after the the recent debate, um, she's not having these hordes of people coming to hear her speak. They're just not interested in her. Whereas with Donald Trump, uh, you know, just, just after the debate, he, he had 15,000 people in this rally and 12,000 people had to be turned away. 15,000 effing people. That's, that's a lot. So I, I, I'm excited about it. I, look, I still wish that Donald Trump did a better performance in the first debate. And I, I hope he does a better performance for my own intellectual sake. I want to see him you know, pounce on her and say, you're a crook lady. 
uh, you've done these horrific things and what have you done for the, what has liberalism, what has your whole platform done for anybody? But he hasn't done that, but, but it seems not to matter. It seems what matters is his genuineness, the fact that he's an outsider, and, and the fact that, that they can't trust anything that Hillary Clinton says. Well, we'll talk more about this and, uh, and, and more stuff when we get back on the break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case where your client invested $100,000 with her accountant who put her into various fake real estate investments. Yes, the challenge here was that neither the attorney nor the client were really focusing on this case. So what'd you do? At the deposition, I had a big stack of documents that I told her I was going to ask her to testify about. I made sure she saw those documents and let her know her serious exposure. We settled for the full amount of the payments my client had paid her. We didn't even start the deposition. Litigation is a lot about understanding the psychology of your opposing party and sometimes the opposing counsel. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right. Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870, The Answer. today. One, one of the things that we have not talked about is an event that occurred uh, within the past couple, within the ma- last month or so. A, uh, a football player named uh, Colin Kaepernick. Ka- oh, sorry, Kaepernick. Yeah, Colin Kaepernick uh, decided during the playing of the national anthem before the game to take a knee and uh, basically show disrespect to the uh, United States of America because, after all, America is not a perfect country. And uh, how dare us? <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> And it once had slaves, and uh, it, it showed uh, Jim Crow laws and such like that, and there's still racism in America. Um, I guess all those facts are true. Uh, we did have slavery. There was Jim Crow law um, stuff that, that happened, and things were not great for the, the average black uh, American for a good hundred-plus years after slavery ended. And a white Hispanic shot Trayvon. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's okay. I'm just simply saying that there are... There's this resonance that keeps on going, and you know it's basically two, two diversion paths. One that says exactly what I just said that that you know America's a horrible country, and they want to embrace their victimhood, and that it's now it's it's in the mother's milk, so to speak, that as the children are raised, they're they're raised only to think of themselves as victims and to look uh, menacingly at. Uh, the white, uh, their white neighbors, in the sense of like you, you did this to me. Uh, whatever my problems are, it's the it's a function of racism, and it's a consequence of racism. And the other path, of course, is to say uh, I'm, I'm black, but but so what? That's just pigmentation. Uh, I I have opportunities galore in this country. Um, for whatever stupid man that may be racist or f- fails to give me a job, there are plenty of others who will give me a job, and that's their problem, not mine. And P.S., America is still the, the greatest land for opportunity for anybody, any black person, any minority person. And that's why they're flocking to this country. Well, that's why there are, there are more blacks who came from Africa 
and from uh, outside nations uh, than uh, there were from slaves, far more. So you, you can't. It's it's hard to to say that that you know the, the assumption, and it's fact, frankly, uh, I wouldn't say it's a racist assumption, but it's a, a a poor assumption to assume that the average black person that you meet on the street is somehow the descendant of slaves. It's it's simply false. More likely than not, he's the descendant of immigrants from Africa who came to this country. Kind of like um, Barack Obama. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. It's a very good example. He's certainly not a descendant of, of uh, slaves in America, right? Whether, it, whether you look at only from his, the standpoint of his, um, his father, because uh, his father came from Africa, from Kenya in particular. So that, that's one example. So you can have those two different divergent paths. So... So what's going on with this Colin Kaepernick guy? What's the deal? Um, he, you know, he's a, a minor player. He's not a fantastic player. He's not famous. He's not the the, the um, uh, Kobe Bryant of a, a football by any stretch, right? But this is certainly a way of him to gain some notoriety. And uh, now he thinks he's opened up a national discussion of some kind, as if that's hard to do, right? You, you're doing nothing more than the same thing that an actor might do going in front of the Oscars and proclaiming his hatred of America, right? Okay, you'll get the, the party started and people will start talking, but BFD, as they say, right? It's, it's, it's no big deal. Now, I, I, I don't think that, there is, that there's so much more to this than just the fact that some guy simply doesn't appreciate all the, 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 the bennies and the goodness that America has bestowed upon him. It's much more than that. It's not just his ingratitude, his failure to see a perspective in a world of opportunities for himself and, and all the goodies that came to him. It's not just that. It's also the way we are reacting to it. It's the way we, the viewers, are reacting to it. It's the way the media is reacting to it. And it's the way that the coaches are reacting to it. What their responsibility is and what our responsibility is in response. Okay, so let's take it apart. If, if you're a spectator watching this, uh, I know that Dennis Prager, for example, he speaks very uh, strongly about how you should get up and, and get out of there. And, and he's got a lot of merit to it. I mean, that's, that's a good point. I mean, it's, it's very difficult for these people. A lot of these people have paid a lot of money uh, relative to, that, to their income, whatever it might be. Football tickets are not easy to come by. And then, of course, uh, in addition to the, to the price of the tickets, they've carved out a lot of time in their day. They've driven out there. They've probably paid a lot for, for the parking as well, only to then just get up from the, at the very beginning of the game and leave. Uh, you know, that's, that's hard. It's hard to, to expect them to do that. Well, to, to be fair to them, and I think Dennis's point is a little different than that. With the, see, television, um, football games are television events where they broadcast the national anthem. So what Dennis is talking about is you stand up, and you walk out while that's happening, so it's seen on TV, the stadium emptying out. Yeah, that you would be nice. You can come back to your seat once the game starts, but that would cause massive embarrassment to the NFL. Oh, I see. And, you know, that way you're not giving up the money. <laughs> yeah, know, but, then, but, that, okay, but then people would, would assume that, you're also stand, that you are also, uh, in a sense, uh, showing contempt for the national anthem. Because how do they know that you're upset with... Colin Kaepernick. Because of the waves of booing that's happening whenever any of these guys, football players other than Kaepernick or Kaepernick himself, do one of these things. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. The point is that the spectators, uh, you know, how do we deal with that? And some of them may be 
coming uh, there more because of, of somebody, some sort of protest. It only encourages people to take a knee, as it were. And that's, so that's bad. Then, of course, there's the media, which is complicit in all this by they, they're egging it on because it's news. It's not quite bleeding, right? It's, it's, it's not a bleed. If it bleeds, it leads moment. But it is a, um, it's an attack on America moment. And they always like that. Um, it's, it's symbolic somehow. And they feel like they're, they're covering a, a unique moment in history. And, and you know what? In some, in some sense, they are right. They are t- covering a very unique moment in history, a very unfortunate moment in history. It's a disgusting moment in history, but all they're really covering is the decay of America. Right. That's and, all it is. And they're pretending like it's a good thing. And, and that's a, an excellent point before you move on to the next one, which is, I just want to add, that it's amazing. Every part of an NFL broadcast, like the earlier point, is, is a controlled thing. Nothing happens by accident. And so in every game, every announcer is now commenting on who stood, who fisted up, whether it's a right fist, left fist, right. who Thanks. saluted, who didn't. And then the, uh, the, the sports networks during their highlight coverage after the game are giving attention to this rather than just ignoring it and letting it die on the vine That's right. on its yeah. own. They, they would, They're it, giving it, would, it oxygen. It would be nice if that actually happened, but uh, unfortunately it's not happening because – there's, there's no mooring of what news really should be, right? It's, it's, we have now, we're not like the, we are now like the sailboat where there is no sail anymore and there's no harnessing of that sail. So the, go, the boat goes wherever the wind takes it and that's where you are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's, that's the way to look at it. All right, so now going to the coaches and this is something that Ari brought offline. I thought it was a good point and I wanted to raise it as well. Uh, to what extent are the coaches in a sense, responsible for this, and what should they be doing uh, in response to this? Here's what we mean. Um, in the old days, you know, the coach was, you know, kind of a uh, father in absence. No, God king. Okay, whatever. No, no they had power of... Okay, I got it. I got it. Let's, 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 not get, let's get derailed here. The point is, he's a father in absence, and he's supposed to, you know, coach the, the, the students, the, the, the kids in this case, uh, and, and, and to a lesser extent, the eventual professional athletes that we're talking about, but that they are supposed to kind of understand discipline in the same way that a general is supposed to uh, discipline and make sure to regiment his soldiers. A, a really good coach is one that commands loyalty within his team. If, if the coach simply says, and this is, this is the reason why it's so important to as a, as a soldier, to polish your shoes, to make sure that your bed is completely made perfectly, right? That lights are out at exactly 9.30 p.m. Uh, or whatever time it is, and uh, that your, your, your collar stays are exactly so tight and you're buttoned up all the way through. All of these things don't matter in battle, so you think. But it is about discipline. Because if you don't have that discipline to clean your boots, you won't have that discipline to clean your rifle. Right, you won't have that discipline to to focus on your squad leader and to understand what the rules are all the time. Understand that this is a rule-oriented society, and and an army. It's a rule-oriented. That, that's the only thing that works is to regiment in such a way that people understand that they are part of this this overall motif. That the individual is not. You're, you're, this is not about the individual. This is about the team. And the coach. In, in a sense, this is a reflection of the coach's failings, right? Because 
the coach should be as as the old days of, of Bill Walsh, as you were talking about. Uh, you know, he regimented every aspect of their lives, and he told them, "Look, you want to be a great team. This is what you need to do. This is the way you need to eat. This is the way your manners are. This is the way you deal with ladies. Uh, this is the the way you talk uh, to the media on TV. This is the way you talk about your team. Um, this is the way you sleep. This is what you eat. Um, this is these are the words that you choose. For example." And, and it led them to understand that they are part of a, a greater team, that they are not the individual, they are part of a team. And in so doing, they understand the importance of throwing the ball exactly so and catching the ball exactly so, right? And tackling the bad, you know, the other team just so. And, and we can go on and on with examples. And what I'm saying is that this is a reflection of the decay of American society, and I, I don't say this with joy in any, in any sense. Of course not. But to, to you know, the, the, the flip side of this and what we're and, seeing and on the media. you're talking about it being the way coaches are not putting this down right. immediately. Yeah, That's should, the sign that they should. Decay. They should, yeah. The coach should be saying, what you did was bullcrap, Colin. Uh, any player does anything like that again, they are off this team. You're, you're easy to replace, my friends, especially you, Colin, who, who are not giving us the... The, the running passes and the yardage that I'm looking for. Well, he's okay. a second stringer who doesn't even play. Exactly. And there's plenty of those floating around to be signed in replacement any minute yeah. of any day. Yeah, exactly. So good luck, Colin. All right, but don't play this game with me ever again, okay? You're, you're off the team, Yeah, period. go play for the Raiders where they allow that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I, I got a little lost here, but the point is that the, the coaches need to, to be there. But the, the whole shaping of the discussion here is that Colin Kaepernick made this thing, and now it's got us. It's got us talking, and isn't that important? And should we show uh, respect to the flag? And uh, is this a, you know, is this something that's appropriate? And you know, good for him, Colin, to to speak his mind, to speak his values, that sort of thing. Um, when in fact, what we should be doing is saying, "Wow, what a shame!" Is, isn't this a reflection mm-hmm. of the decay of of things? Aren't we disappointed in the way things are going down? So you might as well be as excited about this as the, the collapse of a bridge, okay? You're like, wow, isn't this nice, right? <laughs> um, you, know, it, it, you know, but you need to constantly, you know, uh, monitor the bridge, make sure that it's maintained, and uh, understand the infrastructure of the bridge, right? And uh, understand that the, the weight of the bridge, it can only withstand so much weight. All those things that are obvious when you're dealing with the bridge. But here we're just... We're looking at the collapse of the bridge and saying, isn't this wonderful? Yeah, and you made, you made two brilliant points there. Brilliant. The first is the bridge collapse analogy works so well because every bridge collapses if not maintained. That's right. Every one. 100% failure rate. Yeah. If you don't maintain it, it will collapse at the wrong time. And the other brilliant point is you're talking about Kaepernick and his coach, who should have cut him right away and ended, nipped this in the bud, and then Colin Kaepernick could have run around with the Black Lives Matter people getting the same amount of media attention to his little conversation, but wouldn't have involved football. But no, not only did his coach fail in his duty to cut him from the team, every coach in the league is now failing to cut players who step out of line in this, and now a whole bunch of college football coaches where they really are the uh, gods and kings of the team. Because, remember, in the NFL, it's a, it's a star player-oriented league. Right. At, the, at the college level, it's a star coaching level league. Yes. And star coaches in college are failing to enforce this discipline, which 
bridges perfectly, no pun intended, to your non-maintenance of the bridge causes collapse right. analogy because they're not maintaining the discipline and now it's going to start collapsing all over the place. Right. Sure, sure as anything. You're going to see poorer games for one. Here's, here's the future of football. You're going to see poorer games at the end of the day because there's going to be less control by the coaches over the team. So... You know, you know. Once you once you allow a player to take a knee, as it were, uh, during the national anthem, well, then, who are you to tell them what to eat? Who are you to tell them, um, you know, whom they can sleep with? Who are you to tell them to be involved in their in their daily manners and the daily way that they speak to the press or score a touchdown or catch a pass? That's right. And and there's one thing that hasn't been mentioned at all, which comes to discipline, which is this, which everyone always blows a gasket of when it happens: <clears throat> injuries. Injuries happen in football when you fail to maintain your fundamentals, which come from discipline. Right. So when all these weird injuries start happening because players aren't playing carefully or within the lines of discipline because they've lost their discipline, are they suddenly going to start blaming the game for being dangerous again? Well, or are they going to be able to identify a loss of discipline has bridged, no pun intended, to this? Here, here's the next point, and, and that is that what about the game itself, the, the attention to the game itself, the success and the viewership of the game itself? I think it's going to uh, start waning as well for a couple of reasons. One is that football is a decidedly American game, right? You, you, really not, you don't have a, a football league in Japan or in Europe, for that matter. I mean, they, you know, once in a while they have some pickup games and such, but it's not uh, – American football, that is. It's not, it, it's not a reality anywhere else other than in America and perhaps Canada. So that's, that's the way it works. And so when people see somebody like Colin or others uh, taking a knee, uh, for, many, for many people, surprise, surprise, um, they're, very, they're conservative. The people who watch uh, football love the whole Americanness of it. I do. And, 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 and I don't even follow football that much, but I love, when I do watch football, I love the American side of it. I love the national anthem being played. Uh, I, I love the fact that we're all getting together. I like the fact that the, the history of football and how it's brought Americans together, and it's just kind of cool. And how it's our unique culture. <clears throat> it's our unique culture. Yes. And and many Democrats, by the way, feel the same way. You know, there you know there are many really good Democrats out there. There are many good liberals even uh, who who you know love America. They're misguided in terms of who they're voting for. They don't realize that the people they're voting for will ultimately lead to uh, you know slow or even dramatic decay of, of society, but that's their, their hearts are filled with good intent, and they will also disrespect what somebody like Colin uh, is doing. They, they, they don't want that. So this is not the America that they know or that they want it to be. So they're taking away the Americanness of the football experience for so many spectators, uh, conservatives and uh, Democrats alike. And so I predict, and it's not very a big prediction, that the popularity of football will start waning if this continues on, if this kind of crap continues on. And it will. That's the problem. So you'll see people uh, making their, uh, their, their stays and their protests and, and everything like this. And then and it, it'll all be about the individual. And then at some point, people will say, you know what? I was here for my team. I wasn't here to see a, a show, some sort of protest. And they're no more interested in that than, than people who go to a Barbara Streisand concert are interested in hearing her vent about how bad George Bush is. Okay? That's, that, that's what she used to do a lot of times. Look, just shut up and sing. Right? Like, like the famous uh, title of the Laura Ingram book, which I thought was very good. 
just shut up and play, okay? This is what we're paying for. We're not here to see your protestations. You are a cog in the machine. Please play the game. That's all we want from you. And play it well, by the way, okay? Because there's a lot of loyal fans out there that are not here to see you do a show. They're here to see you play. Big difference, right? But you'll, you'll see people get less and less interested in football just for this very reason. And, and it has. The ratings are down. And in fact, last Monday night, Monday night football <clears throat> games and the Sunday night games are the national games every week that are highly rated. And th- their ratings never go down, no matter what it's up against in, right. in, t- in television competition, because football fans usually aren't interested in other things. They've made this as an appointment viewing months or years in advance. And the ratings are down dramatically. Yeah. Wonder why. Well, here's, here's another way of looking at it, is that a lot of people go to football because they, they're escaping, right? They're escaping the troubles in their lives, the discussion of politics. It's one area where you can simply, you know, put, put it this way, where uh, men and women, people of different colors, uh, people of different political views for that matter, people of different religions, they all get together and they're just interested in seeing a football game. Thank you very much. My team versus your team, and isn't this fun? And let's let's play. Let's talk about strategy of a game. That's all it is, and all. And then instead, it's like taking you out of the willing suspension of disbelief when this one one player starts talking about you know cultural politics, whether it's about how bad America is or how he hates Trump or loves Hillary or whatever it might be. We don't need that crap. Yeah, and just play right. the game. And it goes both ways. We're not seeing here as pious conservatives because it's not our message being promulgated. If Colin Kaepernick was a great conservative and was protesting Ted Cruz's absence in the in the political race, even if I agreed with it, I would find it annoying that it was happening while I'm trying to escape all this. Okay. So, but you'd agree, right? Yeah, of course, of course. You're, you're, it's annoying. You're like I'm trying to escape. That's my point. It's a, football is is like going to a movie. If you went to a movie and in the middle of the movie, uh, someone starts saying, All right, "Let's stop the movie." <laughs> I now want to talk about how much I hate Trump. Okay, and they, it goes on for a minute or so, and then they says, "Okay, continue the movie." <laughs> You'd say, "What the f was that?" Right. <laughs> I don't want to. Well, that's going to be part of the movies from now on. Yeah. I don't. I don't need that crap. Okay. Wait. Yeah. So, uh, here's here's another story, and it's a totally unrelated story. Okay. Subtext or is it? <laughs> okay. But totally unrelated story. You'll notice the complete waning of attendance at churches in Europe for sure. And to a lesser extent in America, but it's definitely a waning of attendance. Church attendance has definitely gone down significantly over the past few decades. And, and yeah, the question is why? I, I think part of the reason why is this, this notion that, you know what, we, we accept everybody. We, I mean, of course, you should accept everybody. In terms, but I'm, talk, I'm talking about in terms of their clothing attire, um, how they want to perceive God. And everything is open. You know, God is about love, right? It's not about justice, for example. It should be about love. Uh, it should be about justice, but they, they want to make it about love because for whatever reason, the, the, the media and the culture has taken over even the notion of religion. And so people go to church uh, in, in their jeans, usually cut up, sometimes in their cut-up shorts, sometimes in their yoga pants, sometimes in T-shirts, right? They haven't shaven. They, they've got a baseball cap on. Um, they're just kind of, that's something they have to do, or so they think. 
And so therefore, uh, you know, God should accept them in every respect. And, and so, you know, you're not dressing up for God. I mean, right. So God knows the true you. This is, this is how they talk to themselves. And um, so, so surprise, surprise, um, people just don't go to church anymore. I mean, isn't it interesting that the more discipline there was, you, you would dress your Sunday best. There's no such thing anymore, right? You, to, if, to see somebody going to church, in, in a lot of churches, I'm not saying every church, in a suit and tie, and the equivalent for the ladies, and you know, nice you know Sunday outfit for themselves. It, it it seems like an anachronism. It's it's like you might as well wear a Civil War bonnet, you know, <laughs> and and the fluffy you know um, uh, bell dress of the antebellum South, right? It's it that's that's the way they look at you when you go to church that way. The more common way to go to church now is is the way that you and I are dressed right now. We're we're wearing jeans. We're dressed decently. Uh, with the nice shirts and such, but it's actually worse than the way we were dressed. We're actually dressed fairly nicely now that I think about it. But T-shirts, you know, um, that say "I'm with stupid" or you know things like this, and, and a Yankees uh, hat, or it, it it's just not appropriate, right? And then they're surprised that attendance at church has diminished so much over the years. They they never put two and two together, and part of the reason why is that there's this lack of discipline, and eventually people begin to say. Well, why should I go to church at all, right? God is always with me. If they, if they still believe in God, God is always with me. I can have uh, the church in my own little kitchen, or frankly, in my own little bedroom, and uh, while I'm watching TV, I'll think about God during the commercials while I'm skipping over, you know, the TiVo. That that's that's the way it's going to be. So surprise, there is no more God really in their lives at the very least. Now, a seemingly also unrelated story, okay. And this is the story of the Pope that recently went to the Blue Mosque in Turkey, in Istanbul. And uh, he prayed toward Mecca, saying the prayers of, uh, of, of Islam. Islam. And um, basically, you know, show, trying to show respect to Islam. Now, what's that phrase? The, the dhimmi or somehow the paying of taxes uh, to the... Uh, to the great authorities. That's to, to my mind. That's what's really going on here. It's it's yeah, like the jizya. The jizya. Okay, yeah, that's right. Um, let me pay homage to you because you know, or pay tribute to you even more so, because uh, we recognize that you are a great authority, if not the authority. Of course, they view it the way they want to, which is that here's the Pope bowing to the greater God known as Allah. Oh, it's even worse. It's even that would be one thing. Okay, because that would be dimitude. The way the enemy sees this is as conversion. Ah. And it literally is. If you start praying towards Mecca and you say those prayers in that way towards Mecca with that intent, or if it's viewed by others as that intent, they consider that a conversion, i.e. Yeah. a conquest. Uh, you could very well be right. And I, I think I, I've heard words to that effect and, and uh, analysis to that effect, and, and which would, of course, be a, 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 tr- a terrible tragedy. And, and, of course, it begs the question, well, would an imam, uh, you know, uh, the highest superior imam of Islam ever do such a thing by visiting uh, the, um, the great churches of uh, Rome? Uh, and the answer is no. I mean, the, the day he did that would be the day that his head would be cut off, right? It would be a great apostasy for him to do so. I know that... Um, because they would see it as a conversion away from Islam, That's right. ironically. Yeah, exactly right. He would be an apostate. So, uh, 
why the Pope is doing this, you know, possibly he's doing because he feels that this somehow will bring them together. This will show them how he wants to be united with them, that he's so tolerant of them and they could be tolerant of us. He's leading the way, don't you know? Of course, that's not the way, at all the way they perceive it. And it's so easy for them not to perceive that way. They instead say, look at this schmuck. He's, uh, he's the one of us now. He, he acknowledges how inferior Catholicism is to the greatness of, of Allah. That's what they're thinking. I'm telling you, that's what they're thinking. That, that is, it works, though. It works. They're not thinking, though, that the leader of that church is acknowledging the greatness of Allah and has joined Allah because of Allah's incredible logic and persuasion. They're looking at it that he has joined Allah because of the incredible persuasive value of violence as a means to an end. Let's do more of it to get more leaders to convert In other words, he's abdicating. Yes. Right, okay. So let's not get ahead of ourselves because that's a very important part. Remember that word, abdicating. Um, now, this, of course, doesn't apply to all Muslim perceptions of this. Uh, I'm sure that some moderate Muslims will look at this and say, that is great. It is great that he's trying to bridge issues, speaking about bridges again, uh, between uh, Christianity on the one hand and Islam on the other hand. It isn't, that's wonderful, and I, I hope that our imams could do the same, and it's, it's nice that he's, and he, what courage he has to open the door uh, and, and you know, unclench the fist and all those words and, and trite phrases that Obama likes to use. So that's, that's one way of looking at it. But it's just not the way that they actually lose, uh, use it, uh, sorry, view it from the more radical elements within Islam. And unfortunately, there is a very, very big percentage who are radical or who support the radicalism within Islam. And they view it the way we just discussed, that this, this pope is now abdicating. He now is acknowledging the inferiority of Catholicism if not Christianity, generally speaking, toward Islam, and, and haven't we arrived, so to speak. This is the way they'll view it. it it's very hard to, to, you know, and I say this to some extent as a lawyer. You know, when, when you make certain admissions to the other side, depending on, on how unreasonable or irrational they are, they will use that against you. They won't see it as uh, a willingness to settle, to mediate, to come to come to a, a, a great kumbaya moment. They won't see that. They'll see it as a sign of weakness. There are many such parties and litigants, for that matter, in law. Wouldn't and this you, is no different when it comes to the world stage. Yeah, wouldn't you even be able to apply the same legal logic uh, toward confessions? Even if someone didn't kill someone, if, they, if there's a confession out there because he was intimidated to it, won't they use that in a court of law of to almost uh, you know, supersede any well, yeah, evidence it, that... This person didn't do of it? Of course, of course. And it can be tortured out of people, right? And uh, this is what you see in a lot of dictatorships is they, they do force these confessions out of them and then they use it against them, right? So it's, it's not... But of course, the Pope wasn't uh, forced to do this. He did this on his own. He thought it was a, his, a great grand gesture on his part, a GGG, the great grand gesture, right? <laughs> anyway, um, so, so in a sense, it's an abdication. Now, I told you before that... The football story is unrelated. That the church attendance issue is unrelated. And the Pope story is unrelated. Yeah, you said all maybe. Other. You said maybe, maybe unrelated. Right. Subtext, or got, is it? You got to read the fine print with Barack. He's a lawyer. <laughs> so, but I did say subtext, or is it? Okay. But there is one common thing among all three of these, three of these stories. And that is abdication. Okay, now what is abdication? It means we are giving up. We are relenting. 
we are simply surrendering and saying, fine, whatever, okay? It's just not worth the effort anymore. Why, why is it not worth the effort? Because they don't, they no longer have a, God as the anchor in their lives. There's no more sense of, you know, what is our true mission? What is our point A to point B? The, the sailboat that we talked about before, when, when you have a sail and you actually, you know, harness that sail and you, then you know that there's a mission to go. This, wherever the winds are going, you can go from point A to point B. Maybe you have to tack back and forth, but you want to get to point B. But if you live in a, in a, with a life where you just go wherever the wind takes you and, just, and you say, here I am, you know, well, that, that's an unmooring. That's an abdication to the winds, right? And so it is. This is what you're seeing, an abdication to the winds. When, when Colin Kaepernick does what he does and, and people say, wow, isn't this great? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't he a, a brave soul? You know, it's tempting. It's very tempting for the coach, for the media, and for even, to some extent, some spectators to say, hey, uh, isn't this a, a great uh, moment in time? And, and isn't he brave somehow? And they just go along with it. And the same thing is true with church attendance, where people say, well, you know, it, it, the, the, the church uh, um, elders, the, the priests and the reverends, and even to, to a lesser extent the rabbis, you know, people come into church and they're not dressed very formally. They'll say, whatever, at least they're coming in, right? Let's not, let's, is it really that important for them to dress nicely, to, for us to expect them to dress nicely? Isn't it more important that they're attending and they're saying the, the prayers? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't think so because they're abdicating because they don't realize by giving in here, they give in to eventually the collapse and the surrender of the faith altogether. That's right. By, Pe- by disrespecting the church elders now, they will later disrespect God himself. That, there you go. Bingo. And then finally, of course, the Pope visiting the, uh, the, the Blue Mosque and making prayers in the Blue Mosque toward Mecca, speaking their language, literally. It's an abdication. Isn't it? I mean, what he's really doing is the same thing as, as the way we are responding to Colin Kaepernick and the way the, 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 the church and the rabbis and, and otherwise are kind of letting things slide. Because he's understanding, he's, he's simply saying, look, I don't want to fight you. I just want to give in. Right? It's an abdication. These things will all lead to the same thing. We talked about how it'll be the collapse of football, how it'll, it will be the collapse of church attendance. And eventually we'll go the way of Europe. And now when it comes to the, what the Pope did, it will be a monumental moment in Catholic history. And eventually people will no longer look at Catholicism the same way. They'll say, what do you stand for? I mean, if this is, you know, radical Islam will look at the way it is. It'll eventually chip away at the armor of, that, was, that was and should be Catholicism, which I have profound respect for, as you know. But it bothers me when a pope that's supposed to be so wise and is supposed to be the leader of, and ultimately the, the bridge, there's that word again, pontiff literally means bridge to God, then that, that he doesn't understand these basics, that he has to, you know, it, it's all good and well to go to a, another church or another synagogue or another, uh, another mosque for that matter and, and show respect it has to be reciprocal. You have to know that there's no, you have to know that it's not going to be interpreted exactly the opposite way. And by doing so, he's actually reflecting an application. He's not standing his ground. He's not preaching for the greatness of a Catholicism. That's what I'd like to see. And if he wants to do it, fine, go ahead and do it. 
But don't forget to preach how great Catholicism is. Don't forget to show uh, all the great innovations that Catholicism has advanced. Because all you're doing so far, your holiness, is to talk about how bad America is, how bad capitalism is, how, how evil um, our, our culture has been, how we need to be open to uh, the idea of, uh, of gay tolerance, and how we could have been better with the, the Muslim world and such, and talking about, he's speaking Obama's language. This is, this is not going to bode well when you open up that door. So this is the decay we're talking about, and this is abdication. I fear for it, but there is good news, my friends. It's not necessarily inevitable. Why do I say that? Because I remember in the 60s and particularly the 70s where it did seem also like there was a great decay, that there was inevitability to the collapse of America. And then this man called Ronald Reagan took over and there was a rebirth of the nation. There was a rebirth of the economy. There was a rebirth of a, a values. People dressed up and they, they seemed to respect discipline again. I think we can achieve that again, but we just have to recognize its value. And more importantly, we should not abdicate. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you next week. Let's do